0: So I'm Writing a Novel is the show where you join me, Oliver Brackenbury, on the journey of writing my next novel, from first ideas all the way to publication and promotion. In this one-man reality show, I'll share with you my ever-evolving thoughts and feelings on how I write, being a writer, and everything that entails at each stage of the process. I'll also answer listener questions and, sometimes, interview people who write fiction. If you're the kind of person who likes to learn how things are made and get to know the people making them, then this is the show for you. Today, I'm interviewing someone who actually doesn't write fiction, so maybe I'm breaking the rules a little bit. But she gave birth to someone who does, so I think that qualifies. Yep, I'm interviewing my mum, Christine Brackenbury, who is quite the creative person herself and has written a book. So I reckon she qualifies, plus, I don't know, just breaks things up. It's kind of neat. All right, so (laughs) without further ado... Let's talk to my mum. And here I am with Christine Anne Brackenbury, my mum. Hi, mum. Hi, Oliver. (laughs) It's nice to have you here on a visit. I don't think we've seen each other in person in Toronto since 2019, maybe earlier? I I
1: don't remember exactly. Yeah, something like that.
0: (laughs) Okay, well, let's get into it. The serious interview. Mum. I'm curious, what is the earliest time you
1: remember
0: taking joy in creativity?
1: Taking joy in creativity. Oh, I was one of five girls growing up. I was the middle one. So I had these two older sisters. One was quite a bit older. And uh, I used to like to draw. I always liked to draw. And I got into doing cartoon figures. and I remember I discovered I could ruin a romance by drawing a cartoon of these poor boys that came to visit the house. And my sisters were madly in love with that boy until they saw the big nose I'd drawn or the ear. Oh, I guess it is do stick out. <laughs> and that would be the end of the romance. That was my earliest memories of creativity. <laughs> I
0: don't think I've heard that one before. <laughs> that, and you had two younger sisters as well, right? Little I had two younger sisters, yes. Oh. I
1: used to like to tell them scary stories. <laughs> and we lived in a three-story old Victorian house. And there was, they used to call the landing up on the second floor and it was a dark, there were no lights there. And I'd take these two little sisters down there, we'd sit on the steps and I'd make up the story as I went along really. And the <laughs> they loved it they just loved it cling to my arms and but that night <laughs> they'd have the most dreadful nightmares and then my i'd get into a lot of trouble with my parents i was always getting into trouble i was only being
0: creative <laughs> <laughs> uh, so i'm already starting to see where i get some of it uh okay well that's a love answer um what is the first time you remember seeing me take joy in creativity I was very little, you know. What's the first time you remember seeing me oh, doing God. something, drawing, telling a story, whatever?
1: Telling a story. You well, were, anything, you were, any, yeah. anything creative. You were more about words and even even letters. I remember trying to get you across to the park, across the street, and you kept stopping and pointing at the uh number plates on cars and i and i thought is he interested in cars what's going on here no i had to say the numbers and the letters And once i'd done that then we could go to the park and use the swings and all that stuff but it was about the letters yeah okay
0: <laughs> well, i mean i like that story but i don't know that i was creating anything do you remember the first time you saw me doing like really getting into a drawing or making up a story for my friends or or for you no
1: nope, i can't remember that Oh, okay. I think, well, tell me if
0: this is the first time. Maybe this is a joggy memory. Do you remember I was probably four or five and I made up this crazy story about the earth blowing up and God was a major character and then he ended up reassembling the earth? and uh but he messed up and he put everybody in china and i was gonna say china China was involved yeah Yeah, i think he'd had
1: how how does he know about china i i don't know it's
0: four or (laughs) five i'm sure i heard it sort of book um and he messed up and he put all the canadians in china and all the chinese people in canada but and this was how you knew a little boy wrote it if the million other clues weren't there uh, there was a lesson that the likes of which you must have been teaching me, because uh, the problem of everybody being put in the wrong country was resolved by everybody saving up their allowance to buy oh. plane tickets. <laughs> Everyone in China who was in Canada, uh, from China who in Canada, saved up their allowances. I don't know who gave it to them uh, to buy tickets back
1: to uh, to China and vice versa with the Canadians. Oh, that's right. And and yes. you wanted me to. I think I got it photocopied so that we could give a copy to the library in Carp. And the librarian was very sweet. She she knew Oliver from way back because he liked to read lots of books. He, Oliver was one, always a favourite at libraries. Libraries or museums, that's where his happy place. And, uh, yes, and, and she showed him where she was going to put it on the shelf and everything. <laughs> that yeah. was fun. And yeah. Many uh, years
0: later, I would be delighted to have a copy of my first novel at the Carp Library, which was in a different building at that point. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, no, I could see your, your handwriting and my crayon drawings, and, it, right. and we, we bound it with staples. That's And right, yeah. uh, I know you have a photocopy. I don't know what, about the original, um, but you have a photocopy somewhere in our, like, yeah. family archive. Yes, and, and yes. Yeah. Oh, dear. Um, okay, so, yeah. Oh, that... be creative. I so, just remembered. So do
1: you think that? Oh, okay, go on. Yeah. Um, you, you were 18 months old, and you were in hospital, and I'm not going to go into great details, but they had to uh, ask you to lie flat for several days not to disturb the surgery they'd done. And uh, anyway, you were, that was too boring. So they tried tying you down, <laughs> each arm, <laughs> either side the bed. Wow. And then the tremendous stir was created because Oliver figured out how to flip himself over so he could be on his knees because it was too boring laying on his back. And the surgeon was so amused. He said, wow, he said, that's never happened before. And the nurses were really cross because they were embarrassed. They felt that they hadn't done a proper job. And... They they were looking... Oliver had made them look silly in front of the surgeon. (laughs) There's always this hierarchy in every organisation, of course. Mm, I think you might have remembered the first time I was really difficult,
0: but uh, I'll take it. (laughs) No, you Uh, were being creative. The (laughs) surgeon was very impressed. (laughs) I suppose. Okay, Um, (laughs) okay, so um, in England, when you were older, you uh, taught art to grade schoolers, right? No? No. (laughs) Well, I know you were a school uh, teacher, but I thought you taught art class. No, I didn't things. want to teach art. No,
1: I, really? I originally I'd wanted to go to art school, but my yes. father didn't approve of art school back then. Right. We're talking hippie times and did isn't his daughter mixing with those weirdos. No. Even though my high school teachers were desperate for me to continue in my art studies, hmm. I'd got the highest, highest grade in Exa- Imagine an exam in art, doesn't that silly? Yeah. When I was fifteen, an exam that I should have taken when I was eighteen. So, anyway, they were so disappointed, but nope, Dad said no. So, uh, he said, "I said, how about teaching?" And he said, "Oh, that's good. You know, you learn good money, and people will respect you. They don't respect artists, you know." So then, uh, my answer to that was to find the very best art department in the teachers' college. So, uh, I researched that. And I was so grateful that I was there for three years, and marvelous artists were teaching it, and I learned about sculpting. That was my first introduction to sculpting, and that oh, I loved it. And uh, then I thought, oh, I'd hate to teach arts of kids who were bored out of their minds and And so uh, I thought, where's the most creative part of school? Life And I thought, well, five to seven-year-olds. It was called first school back then in England, mm. first school. And um, then again, they're always changing ideas. The idea was that uh, no child would be labelled between in first school. Mm. I had double-edged sword, of course. Now, when you
0: say labelled, do you mean like designated as having uh, this? Hyperactivity or whatever. Right. That, that was a new th- thing. This issue or another, yeah.
1: uh, uh, but it meant that uh, it felt that cho- children were very creative at that age and they say what they want and they're just wonderful. That's delightful to be around, you know? And uh, I really enjoyed, uh, enjoyed that.
0: Okay. Well, I, don't, I always, for some reason, I guess I conflated things in my head and thought you uh, taught art class or amongst others, but you know. Yeah. Uh, so I. So you kind of answered this, but I guess you did consider then being an artist as your vocation before uh, Granddad.
1: I don't uh, really think I thought it alpha. through. It's just who I was. You know, it's just yeah. like walking across the room. That's just who I was. It's just what I did. And portraits were. I was always drawn to portraits mm. and still am sometimes. And, well, and you've always loved hands. And, oh, hands. Yes. I'll never forget when I met um, uh, a famous uh, kite maker, a New Zealander. It sounds strange. But anyway, brilliant guy, an engineer, tiny physically. Uh, but he had the most enormous hands. They really were in proportion to the rest. and he used them when he was talking a great deal. And uh, Was he very popular? <laughs> <laughs> no, typical engineer, boring, you know. Oh, okay. <laughs> but we were we were there. Apologies because, to any engineers listening. Yeah, so and I watched him and I thought, I've gotta do his portrait. Those hands are amazing. So I did I used pastels, which again was interesting. Yeah.
0: Okay. Um, so uh, when you were teaching, okay, you didn't teach art class, but you taught little, you know, boys and girls, and you. Um, there was a bit of point, you know, in the day where they got to play with crayons or something, right?
1: Oh no, there was a. In fact. As a new teacher, that I remember just doing what, as you say, I thought was good: give them materials and let the kids do their thing. Okay. And then I'd put them up on the wall because that's what you were supposed to do. And then one day the uh, uh, the vice principal came in. She was a very fierce older woman, and she's looking at the walls, and I thought, oh dear, I've done something wrong. And she, I said, is everything all right? She said, My goodness, that work is wonderful. Each child has, you know. done their own thing. And I said, I know the other teachers in the infant department. Uh, They would give the children an outline. Right. Or stand at the front of the classroom with an outline. Okay, now you have to do this. Everybody copied the house or whatever. And then then those were pinned on the wall. And uh, I just thought, oh, my God, that's so boring, those poor kids.
0: Well, it sounds like that was about obedience and what you were teaching was uh, creativity through freedom, perhaps. It
1: was so much fun, yes, yeah. Okay. Well, I'm. I'm now. There's
0: no wrong answer. I have to stress, but I'm curious about something. I'm building something somewhere okay. in this interview. <laughs> Beware. Um, do you feel when you were teaching these five to seven year olds that you were able to spot the kids with artistic promise, or was it you know anyone's guess until you saw what they did?
1: Um. Yes, I think so. The, the the ones who really got caught up in it and uh, but but they all enjoyed it, yeah. And and then there were some that stood out when you you put them on the wall, yeah.
0: Yeah, I guess I'm just thinking about the old routine of nature versus nurture and how a lot of people uh, who might have enjoyed doing art, whether or not they've tried to do it for a living, mm-hmm. uh, they'll think, oh, well, I don't know. I wasn't a natural, you know, I have to work at it. Yes, uh, as yeah. if the only people who can do it are those who were touched by God or whatever. Though equally,
1: I find it annoying when people say, oh, I'm self-taught, you know, self-taught. Oh. I find that really annoying. Yeah.
0: Well, <laughs> well I, I'm interested. What do you mean by that? Do you mean that they haven't had any schooling or training and they just, you know, they win yeah. it and then they think they're as good as people who put in I think a lot it's, of work? Yeah, or? I
1: think it's good to have some guidance. You can only go so far at being (laughs) (laughs) self-taught. Well, it's funny because for a while I remember thinking
0: I would be just self-taught at writing. You know, when I was a teenager, Mm. I I wanted to just somehow completely reinvent everything. I remember briefly being annoyed at the concept of three acts. You know, oh, everybody's got to do three acts. And now, you know, I've joked on this uh, very podcast that... How do you escape that? You can divide it. You can make it four or five or 300 acts. But mm. at the end of the day, there's linear time. It's going to be a beginning and a middle and an end. And you can say, well, what if I remix the order? Well, there's still a beginning and a middle and an end because that's how we experience things. Mm. And so it's just, I wish I could travel back in time until teenage me to, you know, cut it out <laughs> and be okay with learning some stuff and not be obsessed with being self-taught because it slowed yeah. me down, I feel. I think oh, I would you, have gotten much better. You were very better. keen
1: on poetry until you went to university. Yeah. And then you learnt, to, you learnt about poetry. and I um, learnt and to appreciate poetry. You really did. I knew yeah, about changes. it before. <laughs>
0: um, okay, so I think like, we touched upon this already, but uh, how important is artistic expression to you? Uh, by which I mean, like, it sounds um, maybe precious, but honestly, if I go more than a week without doing some kind of writing, you know, it doesn't have to be big and fancy. It doesn't have to be a lot. I can be just brainstorming. But if I go a whole seven days where all I'm doing is working and eating and sleeping and having fun, maybe even, you know, mm-hmm. um, I start to get bummed out. I feel my mood genuinely suffer. Uh, I, I wonder, you know, is that how, how is it like for you? Have I inherited this from you? <laughs> oh, I don't know. I don't know. I mean, if you go a long ways without painting or without creating a design for jewelry, you know, if if you go many days or weeks, does it affect your mood or are you fine?
1: No, I I would miss that terribly. Uh, coming for this visit, uh, we talked about going to the AGO and it was an Andy Warhol exhibit, and I thought, oh, I'm not sure. You know, I grew up during that era, and Warhol was just so weird. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> at a time when I was learning how to do life drawing and stuff. So, fairly structured how you draw a figure okay. and use a model and all that stuff. Um, looking back, though, I'm grateful that I had that opportunity because yeah. you can turn it more abstract if you like. But I feel sorry for women artists that bit younger than myself who didn't have that training. Mm. And again, uh, in my teenage years, the arts and crafts uh, movement was big. And uh, I, that uh, came into my life in a big way. Uh, William Morris and and all that fabulous stuff. And in fact, there was, they had a wonderful exhibition at the National Gallery of uh, the Arts and Crafts of William Morris. Uh, I went three or four times to that, I remember. Yeah. So it was, uh, again, the idea of the, you know, there was always the idea, well, when I was studying art, oh, the crafts were something else. You know, that's not art. Mm-hmm real art is this you know oh, wow. and i'm you know and i don't think you can be that dogmatic about it you know it is what it is to you you know has to speak to you no, i agree and, and in this
0: uh dear listener you have just experienced the common family dynamic in the brackenburys <laughs> where one of us asks the other one a question and they learn a lot of very interesting things but the question doesn't actually get answered so that was great mum. <laughs> but maybe my question isn't that good i mean that could be fair but uh, would you would you say then you're comfortable, you know well, well I mean I guess I feel like you're always doing something you're always you know always at the at the very least doing designing drawing with Dad mm-hmm. or you know or I I think you've been painting a bit less lately but like do does it does it affect your mood or not Can you take it or leave it in terms of a
1: long absence without doing the thing? Oh for sure yes yeah. just the same as not uh, having a chance to converse with people and and have a have a laugh it's important yeah. uh, coming from england you know everything yeah. especially in the london area everything's turned into a laugh often it turns into a very vulgar kind of humor <laughs> uh, uh, and it's fun to get to other people who understand it it's very quick very fast yeah. so uh, I i find if i don't get that at least once a week uh, yeah. oh and it's, and it's like that with with art so that's interesting
0: yeah. to conflate those two things because I, I think it's pretty fair to say you're extroverted you know you get energy from people uh, and I definitely got that from you. Uh, that's mm-hmm. Nobody's loving the pandemic, but uh, it's been hard for me being able to only see my partner. I love her, but she'll yes, yes. be sure the first to tell you. It's and the you same can have too much of a good
1: thing. Yeah, well, <laughs>
0: um, and I've, I've been think, married
1: for 51 years. I know all about too much of a good thing. <laughs> uh,
0: all right. Well, speaking of uh, your sort of personal history, coming back to that, um, upon moving to Canada with Dad, You, uh, like most immigrants, your education didn't count in the country you Mm -hmm. moved to. And you didn't feel like retraining to be a teacher. Good grief. So you chose to
1: join Dad in the goldsmithing business. Um, Very naively on my part. Oh. Because we're talking uh, mid to late 70s in Ottawa. And women were not allowed to work in workshops, goldsmithing workshops.
0: Right, and you became the first woman in Ontario,
1: a first woman goldsmith in Ontario, right? Uh, yeah, I in, in Ottawa, anyway. So I oh, went, okay. I don't know, maybe in Ontario. It was a very strange system, and it, when one organisation doesn't want outsiders to join it, they make it more difficult and obscure and aren't very helpful and stuff. Anyway, I went round to every workshop, goldsmithing workshop in Ottawa, and said, you know, I. Have an art background, you know. Um, I've been married to a goldsmith next number of years, and I'm interested in doing an apprenticeship. and And I would get, first of all, I would get a look of horror from this poor guy. A woman, a woman in the workshop. I was told that every time. A woman. I I said, "Well, I'm married, you know, and I dress appropriately." Oh God! There'd be no boobs hanging out or anything or (laughs) type. Or tight pants, you know, and oh, I said, I have been a teacher. I'm a respectable person. Yeah, no, that no, no, no. Is, I <laughs> love I,
0: that that's the Christine Brackenbury guarantee. <laughs> no boobs out.
1: And then uh. then, then, uh, someone said to me, there's a new uh, workshop opening up, a South African guy. Why did you try him? You know, Canadians obviously just can't get their head around this. Try mm. a South African. Yeah, get someone nice and progressive, a guy from an apartheid <laughs> nation. Quite, yeah. <laughs> And he had a very strong accent. I had trouble understanding him. Right. Anyhow, I so I had to re-read the visual, the, the the clues. When I said to him what my ambition was, he looked embarrassed, and I thought, oh, that's interesting, because embarrassed in a nice way. Mm. He said, uh, he said, oh, he said, I've I've never worked with a woman before. You know, I've never worked anywhere. There's been a woman before, and and then uh, so then again, I was selling myself, and uh, he said, uh, well, he said. Tell you what, he said, let's give it a try. And if the guys aren't too upset by it, you know, and you don't disturb the workday too much, then you can stay.
0: (laughs) So that's how I
1: started my four-year apprenticeship. However, two years after it started, there was a downturn in the economy. There's always a downturn in the economy. It's cycles. Mm. And, um, well, he had to lay somebody off because, you know, there wasn't enough being money being made to keep everybody paying that. So who had to go? Well, the woman, of course. You oh. can't sack a man and leave a woman in. The... Anyway, so again, I was a bit downhearted. and But fortunately, I heard about uh, an Austrian chap further out of outside of Ottawa. And we were planning on moving out of Ottawa, my husband and I. So uh, I thought I'll go and interview with him. And he was so ordinary to my mind and... He had worked with uh, women in Austria before, and I told him the story, and he said, I don't know what's wrong with Canadians. That's that's crazy, isn't it? So so he took me on. Uh, However, he had overlooked the fact that the two other guys in his workshop were both French-Canadian, one from France and one from Quebec. And – the one from Quebec had never seen a woman in the workshop before, right. <laughs> and his wife was put off by the fact that there was this young woman oh working with him every day. And she came in to check, make sure I wasn't wearing a skirt too short or some such nonsense. I'll never forget. that. I have a, I have
0: a question. What? I mean, I'm loving all these. Oh, details. Sorry. that's yeah. okay. Yeah. Um, I'm loving all these details. But I have a question: Was it, um, was it at one of these workshops, or was it where you trained that the magazine story happened?
1: magazine store yes remember
0: there, were, there was somewhere you were working or training i can't remember which and guys were leaving uh, playboy magazine all over the break room table and, oh that and, was that was the other one yeah yeah so that was this
1: um to put me off yeah yeah and can you tell our listener uh, so what you did <laughs> I, was, I was trying to remember it was crazy yeah, they, they, these guys thought that they would get rid of me by leaving these. Oh no, they, they had they had only had a half hour lunch break. That yeah. was it. And they sit around this big table, and there's nothing. They don't want to talk. Guys don't want to talk. So there were big piles of uh, girly magazines. We used to call it back then. What were they? Pen, penthouse or something. Play Playboy, Playboy, painters, and they just sit there flipping them through them. And there's me sitting there, a woman, as they're looking at these uh, fake boobs and everything. And I thought, oh my goodness. So one day. There was a new magazine that had come out. That's right. We were up on Spark Street and there was, I think it was a Coles bookstore or something, a Soul magazine. And it was an embarrassing thing for me to do again as a woman. But I thought, I'm going to go and buy one of those new magazines that sh- showed lots of naked men. It was a sort of feminist thing, I think, a backlash. I don't know. Well, just trying to expand the market. Play, yeah, <laughs> play, I think it was
0: Playgirl. Playgirl. Story, that right? was it. Yes.
1: Playgirl. And I I had to line up, because I line up for the cash, holding this wretched magazine. I thought, oh, my God, I hope I don't see anybody I know. <laughs> What's that married woman buying that? Anyway, so I bought this magazine, and then when the guys weren't looking, I sneaked it into halfway down one of these piles. And then we're looking at a usual thing every lunch hour. They're flipping through the magazines, and the guy well, that actually was the biggest guy in the room, funnily enough, a tall, tall guy. And he... Um, uh he found this, he reached and he found this. He says, What's this? And he looked at it and who put this here? And then suddenly they all looked at me. This is half a dozen guys. Did you put this here? I said, well, I don't know. I don't know how it got there. I said, one of those new magazines, I don't know. So uh and they're looking through and I could see they were they were reacting as women do. When guys look at these immaculate women, you know, mm. uh uh they feel diminished and the guys were getting more and more. Depressed looking <laughs> And then when he got To the centre fold <laughs> The centre My god Look at the size Of that guy's dick I've yeah. never forgotten that <laughs> And by then The boss of course Heard all this noise Going on And came to see What all the fuss Was about <laughs> And I thought That's it I'm going to get sacked But I don't care I'm fed up With these guys And anyway He took me his put raised his finger At me to come And talk to him And I thought Okay this is, this is where I'm going to get sacked You know <sighs> and he said, uh, he said, did you bring that magazine? I said, I'm afraid so. I'm just tired. He said, well done. (laughs) (laughs) So he praised me for standing up
0: to them. I've always loved that story. Mm. I I really wanted to share it. And, you know, speaking of gender in the workplace, when eventually, of course, um, well, of course, but of course, to me, uh, you and dad wound up working together as your own business. And that's been the case as long as I've been alive. Yeah. And I get, you know, I've obviously been pretty close to the subject here, right? Uh, So I wonder if this is a silly idea I got in my head somewhere along the way, or if it is accurate, um, because it's kind of gendered, in the sense um, I always thought of, you know, both of you had craft and skill, obviously, but uh, Dad was a bit more of the kind of draftsman the technical minded designer and you were more the creative artistic designer and you brought that energy into what yeah, you guys did. Yeah, so we did. work
1: as a team, we always have done. Yeah. Okay,
0: but would you say that that sort of, you know, each of your strengths I described oh, them sure. kind of fairly? And
1: he was very grateful I was able to help him with his drawing skills because again that was one of my strengths because when he did custom work for a customer even now he can actually draw exactly what he's talking about, you know, and uh, but, again, it's a two-way street. If the customer has no imagination whatsoever, then that will be uh, be added to the challenge. You know, it's not till you actually make the ring. They find, oh, that's what you were talking about. Uh, <laughs> like, oh, my God, I drew it for you from every angle. <laughs> uh, you know. Um, yeah, okay. So that's I think that's kind of cool.
0: I mean, you know, you guys not only uh, live together, raise the kid together, uh well, lived. You still live together, um, and uh, worked together, but it's fair to say you created mm-hmm. together.
1: Yeah, and still do. We talk yeah.
0: about things, and yeah, yeah. I, I, I mean, I'm saying things in past tense because I'm looking at the past, but yes, yes. You, st- you still do all these things. Sure. Uh, except Raise me. I'd, I'd like to think that's over. Um. <laughs> so, okay, all right. Um. So coming coming away from talking about you guys, let's talk about me for a second. Uh, I'm an only child. I get to talk yeah. this way. Um. What exactly? Did it feel like for you when it became clear I was going to seriously try to make writing what I do for a living? Because it must have given you joy to see me be a little creative so-and-so and to have people react positively to that. But when a kid says, I want to try and make a living at something that's notoriously difficult to make a living at, how does that make you feel as a parent?
1: Uh, I guess I think back to my parents. As a parent, you 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 do what you think is best, you know. Um, and really, if you're blessed with any kind of creativity, whatever art is—writing or music or whatever it is—you know—that'll uh, always be with you. It'll never go away. And you can, whatever challenge comes in life, that will help you. I don't see it as a distraction at all. And uh, as I say, uh. My father thought teaching, you know, and I remember my uncles, all wonderful, all were teaching, all you're made for life now. And by the end of the five years that I taught, things had gone topsy turvy as they do, and suddenly teachers weren't respected anymore. There was government interference, and suddenly uh, the male teachers wanted to be separated union-wise from the female and all that was nonsense was going on. And then another government decided they needed to send inspectors into the school to make sure the teachers are doing their jobs properly. And, mm. and then the school, you as a teacher would have spent, they knew they were coming at the end of the year. That was a oh, dreadful thing to do, people. We're coming to check up on you. A bit like the old-fashioned, wait till your father gets home, you know, if you don't behave today. Well, okay, but you,
0: but teaching, you know, I mean, aside from there was a bit of a, a gender in the times thing, you know, that was one of the five jobs or whatever that was considered, you know, for women, mm-hmm. especially from people of your uh, granddad's generation. But also, for all that teaching, sadly, became a profession that was not respected, and I, I don't know that's ever recovered. No, Um no. At least at the time you were doing it, it was a steady paycheck, was it not? I mean, you you knew you could make a living. You knew. well, that was
1: partly the problem. It wasn't very well paid. You what you what you earned was was that you know position in society really, you know. And as the unions got more involved and was trying to raise uh, the teachers' income, that's what it all got enough. Okay, bottom. so when
0: I i briefly thought about going into marketing i did a co-op oh i remember yeah yeah (laughs) that's another story i I remember thinking that would be a way to get paid to be creative and almost immediately they made it clear that like 0.5 percent of people involved in marketing get to actually be creative that's right and even then it's within tremendous constraints to produce little 30 second blibbits or whatever um and so that turned me off and i i sort of was fumbling and just kind of went well somehow or another writing i didn't really settle on screenwriting as the main push until i was uh, a little older i was 19 mm-hmm. and um i guess part of what made me ask this question was uh you maybe forget this but you guys are very supportive and honestly overall i would say i'm not just saying this because you're in front of me i mean people are going to hear this <laughs> i got really lucky i think you you yeah. guys are very loving and supporting raising me and um honestly it would be nice if you were rich if yeah. you could have done that for me <laughs> Uh, but otherwise, I would say I really lucked out. And the more I learn about other people's parents, on average, uh, the luckier I feel as the years pass by. Mm-hmm. Um, so don't think I'm having a go when I mention this. But I have not forgotten that you eventually, years after I was 19, revealed that part of why you paid for the screenwriting summer course I took mm. was because you hoped it would turn me off the idea. Oh,
1: I'd forgotten that. That's right. Yeah, You, you were...
0: hoped I would take that course and go, bleh, and then maybe, I don't know, go be a doctor or whatever, like something well, else.
1: I, I, I well, I've always loved reading, and I ended up belonging to two book clubs, which is crazy, in in Canada. And uh, one of the uh, la- older ladies in a book club, she, uh, bless her, she lovely, lovely woman. She was very impressed with Oliver and his writing and stuff. And I thought, oh yeah, that's all very well, you know. And she said, tell you what she said, I hear there's a screenwriting course available in Ottawa. Oliver's a little bit young. I'm not sure if they'll accept him, but anyway, so we had to apply and I guess pay for it and that. But I thought he'll he'll learn how hard it is and boring it is. And that'll be the end of that idea. That was my idea going into that. So, uh, but of course, what always ha- oh, happened with Oliver—he talked and talked and talked—and the screenwriter loved his writing. And at the end of the week or whatever it was, she said, "Could she asked Oliver, could she take his writing with her? She wanted to look at it some more, which only encouraged and validated his." <laughs> God damn it! <laughs> and my girlfriend from the book club was thrilled, <laughs> and i be had a joke. Said, it's all your fault, and look what you've done! I thought this was going to- <laughs> gonna. Well, 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 there you
0: go. So, I mean, again, I'm just exploring
1: it. I'm having to go.
0: But and this you... was a professional screenwriter. That was yeah, yeah, no, I, I still remember. Uh, Sharon Buckingham, yeah. Oh, that's the name. Yeah, yeah. But, uh, but so so there you go. So you obviously had this feeling that
1: maybe it would be better if I didn't do it. Yeah, yeah, I was doing my dad, wasn't I? Yes, yeah.
0: Well, that's okay, but yeah. I'm curious. So was that just concern for me making money? Was that concern for prestige? Was that concern for me making the money necessary to do things like you know get a house and have grandkids and all that good stuff that you would fairly your parent, want
1: parents just want you to be secure whatever that, mm-hmm. yeah that that takes yeah as you say it's uh it's certainly not easy well mm. dad's not here we can say whatever we want no. <laughs> uh
0: did dad have feelings along those lines of jesus he should do something else you know what was dad's feelings if you remember that from when i was a teenager
1: well your dad wasn't a big reader um that wasn't his thing words weren't his thing but uh, he kind of left it up to me I guess he thought I had authority as the (laughs) ex-teacher there was that element to it but he had a paint must have had an opinion did he never share it what when he chose to be a goldsmith his father didn't really approve of that you know right you know well who the hell does that kind of a job you know and again it was arduous he had to travel up to London on the train and they paid him pennies and oh, depending on which company you got a job at, whether you had any prestige, and he struggled and struggled and struggled. So he, don't, he knew he knew that if that's really what you wanted to do, mm. you'd, you'd have to put up the fight. And uh, I guess he felt you were man enough to do that. <laughs> sure. In yeah, a very, very uh, muscular profession <laughs> yes, involving yes. lots of jumping jacks and big muscles. <laughs>
0: um, okay, because uh, I, Dad, I, the only thing I remember him saying to me was when I sort of, you know, I, didn't, I don't think I decided on screenwriting yet, but I was in my teens and I knew writing, yeah, this is the thing. Um, he said to me, well, Oliver, uh, I have been sitting down to make a living at the bench, workbench, oh, yeah. for all these years. Yeah. And if you're writing, you sit down. And I went, yeah, I, I mean, you can, usually you do, yeah. He said, okay, well, just be careful not eating too much and getting exercise because otherwise this will happen. And he grabbed his stomach. <laughs> <laughs> uh, from all the years of sitting at the bench, that was his bigger piece of advice. And the funny thing is it really stuck with me. <laughs> so, okay, good work, Dad. But that is the only thing I really remember. I'm sure he said some nice encouraging statements, yeah, you know, but as far as anything really specific, mm-hmm. and he never said anything to me about doubts or anything. Bless him, but, you know, that's what you say and what you can say to yourself or you know, it can be different. Yeah, um so I guess I just wonder because I, I you know I this last year, I haven't been having a lot of fun, uh, like most people again, pandemic um but also i guess especially in the last few months i've been feeling particularly uh a bit crushed uh, with the writing thing and mm-hmm. there are points where I, I look around and think geez you know i it's almost like by doing this i've i've upset a natural order or something you know i mean i don't want to get into the details but you guys have ended up having to help me out a little bit mm-hmm. here and there and you guys aren't rich and listener, i'm not talking about big privilege with mm-hmm. a capital p i mean i've always paid my own rent but mm-hmm. you know um but there have been points where I've been a little tired or I've been able to get something, you know, and that just doesn't feel right. And it feels, it's felt less right, you know, each time it's happened because all I want to do is have enough money to turn around and pay for a cleaning lady to come buy your house once a month or to buy a house with room that I can, you know, have you guys in rather than uh, sort of undoing a futon in, in, in my office <laughs> in this apartment that, you know, I, I desperately want to move out of. And, I, you know, I, the kid thing, up, And there's other reasons to want kids or not want kids um but i feel like if i'd had more money maybe i would have decided to do it and decided to do it sooner so there's this feeling of almost like i'm robbing my parents of certain things by prioritizing me and my big stupid artistic pursuit and yet if i go more than six days without doing it i start to feel bad Mm -hmm. and yet you know how do you ignore the fact that growing up you know you guys were very kind and encouraged me my teachers were all very kind and encouraged me you know, you have at least a few stories of taking little me to, uh, talks given by writers of the books I was reading. Oh, is that
1: wonderful author from down, uh, down east. He lived down in Nova Scotia, I think, uh, children, children's author, um, Martin Godfrey. Oh, or? well done. Martin yeah. Godfrey. Yeah. And he was in town in Ottawa, uh, and he's going to be at the Ottawa library, um, presenting his book as you do and you obviously want to sell books and a big crowd turned up he was very popular back then and uh, I said to Oliver oh, would you like oh yeah so I was careful to make sure Oliver was sitting in the middle because he always loved to engage with whatever was going on and uh, so Martin Godfrey started talking about his book and Oliver kept putting his hand up and I tried to hold his arm down but he was so excited and in the end Martin Godfrey stopped he said okay Let's just stop this for a moment. He said, I want you to know, see that little boy down there who keeps asking questions and everybody looked back. Yeah, Stand up, he said. And Oliver stood up a bit shy. I didn't want people looking at him. And Oliver, uh, he said, what's your name? He said, Oliver. And uh, the, the Martin Godfrey said, uh, well, tell everybody that you've never met me before and you don't know me. Is that true? Yes, said Oliver. I've never met you before. But uh, why do you keep putting your hand up and talking about my books in such great detail? Oliver said, "Well, I've read all of them, and now you've written another one, and I'm very excited to read it." <laughs> and the whole room erupted into laughter. <laughs> he said, "Well, I guess that sold all the books I brought with me today." <laughs> there was just no getting away from it, and I don't think Oliver realised what what he was doing to help this author. <laughs> it was such fun and and actually he did uh, oliver did write he was home from school i remember and i said why don't you write to that author of you and tell him how you like his books and anyway the letter went on and on about the details and then we got a response back i remember from martin godfrey he said, old is this kid <laughs> you want to know how old Oliver was <laughs> so he again he was blown away that was fun That was oh fun. yeah and okay all right I was very precocious and delightful
0: thank you <laughs> yeah, um but, uh, <laughs> but
1: you, you gave that writer validation you know? well yeah and I oh. guess
0: like you know experiences like that and all the encouragement and all that stuff and how much mm. pleasure I, I t- took from it and it gave me you know how do you how do you not try and make that what you do all the time you know I know lots of people work full-time jobs write and write, and some of them are very successful as, uh, mm-hmm. as authors. I mean, it's not just the hobbyists as if that's bad, by the way, it's yeah, not, yeah. it's absolutely not. Um, so yeah, I guess I just think about the sacrifices I've made to try and free up uh, the disgusting amounts of time. it is to try and be your best mm-hmm. uh, at uh, things like writing and screenwriting and so on. And I guess I just, yeah, I don't know. I, maybe I don't have a point here, but I just, I sort of, I guess I'm reverse engineering my feelings of maybe I've not, Given you and dad things that you maybe would have wanted me to have or me to bring into your lives uh, because of writing, (laughs) you know, And, and then work backwards from that feeling that I've had this year to me being a teenager and what was in your heads when it became clear I was going
1: down that path. Oh I think we knew always knew you were going to be a writer it was that was that was it from Are you there. sure or is oh, that yeah, or no. is that a story that's no, become no, very seductive no. to tell yourself in later years No that that you always had that oh, okay. writer in you that's who you were you know yeah. unless we Went at you with a big sword and chopped you in half, and well, then I'd be sewed, dead, you, sewed so you together I, uh, again, back to front, and upside down, Then I'd
0: be really ugly and dead. There would be a different Oliver, yeah, I guess, <laughs> yeah, very, yeah, yeah. No, that's true. That would that would change me. Um, okay, so all right. Uh, meanwhile, you wrote a short book. Oh yes. Can yes. you please tell people what it was about and why you chose to write it when you did?
1: Uh, My two older sisters, who I mentioned earlier, uh, poor things, got sick with different things and died early 60s, in their 60s. And um, around the same time, two or three of my nieces were having a tough time with their marriages and kids and everything. It was just a lousy time, really. And uh, I thought, well, you know, I'm next. I'm number three. (laughs) The top two have gone. Uh, uh, I better do something that I've been saying I was going to do for a lot. Like We all do. Oh, one day I'll, I'll write that one. Day. I'll put that together. My father had given me half a dozen artifacts, I guess you'd call them, uh, from what he uh, did and experienced during the Second World War. And um, he had a lovely approach to it. He had a wonderful approach. He didn't ever want to write the book himself he told me because he didn't never wanted to glorify war mm-hmm. that was his big thing Uh so I thought well now's the time to do it and thank god I had this writer son living in Toronto <laughs> uh-huh. and another um lovely uh young nephew who's living in London England at the time working in around the printing industry He's so he, yeah. and uh, of course uh, I'm still I'm not that good on the computers but he was tremendous and he said, I've noticed this, uh, gosh, his story can go on too long. Sorry about that. Anyway, no, he, a- he put me in contact with an American uh, professor, university professor. He said, this chap's been writing articles and that. And he mentioned something. I'm sure he, he there's a connection with granddad said, uh, my nephew. So that was a start. And, um, as I say, I remember growing up, I had health issues and was in a lot of pain very often. And my father would tell me some of these stories to take my mind off, as, as stories do, take your mind away from any worries or what concerns, pain you have. And also to to tell me that, you know, it doesn't matter how bad life can be, how much pain you're suffering, there's it, good will eventually come out of it. And uh, it took me two, it blew me away. It took me two years to research it, get information from the British Royal Navy. My father was in the Royal Navy. Uh, I had to pay £30 sterling to get this information and show my birth certificate to say I was a next of kin. I couldn't believe the detail there was. And, and
0: the best part was the information you ended up getting was just like his height, oh, uh, oh, oh. complexion. Yeah, yes, <laughs> uh, in
1: order to get into the Royal Navy. This is the beginning of the war and they needed men. But anyway, I got his chest measurement as he was then and his height. But the the, the, the detail I loved the most was his complexion. Complexion? I said, was he spotty or something? No, he was fair. He had a fair complexion. <laughs>
0: oh, and I, I mean, I love all this because I mm. ended up helping you with uh, layout. I That's did, right, I did, I did yes. the layout. Mm. I helped to look for typos, obviously. Yes. Uh, and, and I remember more than once I had to help you fight something that I have to fight in myself. You... You yeah. are impatient, oh. <laughs> and you didn't care about putting the dates for things. You're trying to tell this a short historical novel uh, about or nonfiction book about Granddad's war experiences, and you were like, "Oh, I don't know, it was somewhere in World War II. and and yet yeah, you, you're leaving out detail. A big part of why you wanted to write this was so that what well, you know his uh, great grandchildren could know him.
1: Yes, yes.
0: Because they didn't. They, they were born mostly yes, after he died.
1: That's right. And, and and the title, I couldn't think of a title to give it. That was another fun thing. I was always carrying these papers around with me. I was writing down things and changing things. And I was sitting on the bus, traveling home, traveling visited Oliver in Toronto, going home to Ottawa, and this lovely young French-Canadian girl was sitting next to me. And she said, she said, do you mind me asking what you're doing? I said, oh, I'm trying to finish this. This goddamn book, uh, two years, and I can't think what title to give it. Anyway, I explained, you know, my father's approach to life and uh, uh, goodwill always come out things. Oh, she said, I have the perfect translation. And most of this is said in France, you said. Yes, I said it was set in in France. So she said, and I have to hold it because I can't remember it. Chances dans sa malchance. In English that says, lucky in his misfortune. So bad things happen, but good can come out of them. And one of the artifacts that Dad gave me was this six-page letter from this love sound. I never met her, of course. Lovely woman in northern France. And she wrote this letter at the end of the war, or the date tells you when it was, And to my father, my dear James. That was his father. And she's hoping that his wife and his new baby was well and if he ever comes back to France, hopes he will come to visit. And she said, well, by then maybe we'll have a roof on the house because this is Normandy and everywhere was wrecked. You know, mm-hmm. the Nazis had left, but they'd left uh, this wrecked place and stuff. Lovely, lovely letter, but language language changes. It doesn't stay the same. And there's some very old French in there. I, I My French isn't good enough to... Uh, to do the translation, so I asked a dear friend of mine who lives where I live, and she taught. She's very well educated, Quebec uh, French, and she taught French in high schools and stuff. And she said, "I'll translate it for you, if you like, Christine." I said, oh, that would be lovely. Would you, Constance? That would be wonderful. <laughs> oh yeah, no problem. Six pages. I oh, know, never mind. And shortly after that, the uh, American, as I called him, contacted me and said. I got somebody who could help you with that letter, trying to oh, well, no, that's fine. My friend's done it. He said, I'll, t- I'll tell him about it. And next thing I know, another email came this time from this man with a French name and, uh, I didn't know him or what he did, and he said, would you like me to translate that letter properly? Mm. And I thought, those Americans, they're so full of themselves. Uh. (laughs) They always say Canadians can't do things properly.
0: Well, we're always snobs about (laughs) them, and we really have no right to (laughs) be. We have no right (laughs) to be.
1: I know, there's this silliness (laughs) that goes on. Anyway, Mm. I turned down the offer, and then a few months went by, and information still flying, and I discovered, much to my embarrassment and horror, that this chap, was head of French tra- translation for the United Nations. <laughs>
0: yeah. Well, so this is one thing I really loved was it wasn't just that you uh, yeah. got to experience uh, trying mm. to write a book, yes, um, in the sense of you know the writing uh, and crafting narrative. You got to experience how. All books are collaborative. Yes. It's a, kind of a cliche to say this, but, yeah. you know, most people who don't think too hard about it, and not really has to, obviously. It's a huge community. Yeah, yeah. you think it's just one person beavering away and maybe they get mm. an editor to look at it. But yeah. inevitably stuff, stuff like this happens, whether it's yeah. fiction or nonfiction, I think. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and I, so I was really happy that you had that experience and it was fun to help you with it. And uh, now you have this little artifact, and you had never had any intention of professional publication. Right? Oh God! This no, wasn't for this no. wasn't for the public. No, this was uh, a, a really lovely little yeah. artifact for the family. Yes,
1: and, and the youngsters loved it, you know. And and cousins, uh, you know, cousin in Australia said, "I always knew there was something special about Uncle Uncle Jim. I had no idea because he never talked about it, you know. Yeah, yeah. Well, that was
0: I think mm. something about it that's very romantic is the telling of this writing of this book." really appeals to me because you because of you, your, your chronic ear issues laying in mm-hmm. bed in pain when you were little you got to be the keeper of the stories because yes. as you say he wound yeah. up sharing stories with you
1: he didn't tell anybody else no no you know no look i did this or so and so did this yeah. and uh,
0: and what stories i mean i won't get into all of them right no. now uh guys but any one of them could have been a movie. Yeah, you know yes. there was at least a half dozen. I remember when I was going through the research with you. I thought, good grief, you know. Well, like,
1: and it was interesting again the time that I, you know, the feminism was becoming a thing then in the sixties and seventies, and, and uh, uh, I discovered what my one of my sisters how she came by her name. This young French woman hmm. who rescued my father and two other guys who'd been captured and were on the train. Uh, oh, yeah, travelling through was like France. nineteen or something, right? Less than that. He was travelling on this train through France, being sent to a prisoner war camp. You know, that's it. You know, mm. actually, that's it for you. Yeah, you done. Yeah. And uh, she, um, my father again, I'm, again. He was a commando, a train commando, and he, he knew how to fight dirty. Yeah. And when the train stopped at a crossing or something, he and these two other guys overcame the guard and got off the train. The word got out to the resistance people and they oh my goodness you better pick those guys up quick before the Germans get them again and this girl as I say uh, I just loved the story because back then you talked about girl power yeah. <laughs> and this was a girl power story she went to the uh, headquarters German headquarters in town and there was a jeep or whatever a vehicle it was called back then an army vehicle uh and the Germans were so sure of themselves they'd even left the key in the thing you know and, and it, French sissies, you know. And Anyway, this girl walked up and nobody took any notice because we know what can a girl do kind of thing. Mm. Anyway, she jumped into this vehicle, started up, and off she went. <laughs> Drove all over town, all around the woods and that to, to save my dad. And, these two. and Her name was Rose. I've never yeah. forgot that story. And, she, and that's how your sister got named by her name. We named yeah. her after that, which I loved. I loved the girl power, of course. Yeah, sure. He was very – he only had daughters. I often wondered what it would have been like if he'd had a son, but uh, – um, so He was very supportive of feminism before it was even a thing, really. Yeah. Yeah, well, I mean, I think yeah. I, I only knew him a little bit, but, I you know, everything I got
0: from James, uh, James Coles, mm-hmm. was that he was a very gentle, kind man. Yeah. He and loved books. I, sort of, I think in yeah. a way, if someone had to have five daughters, he was a good man to help raise them. Mm-hmm. Uh, Is the feeling I got. Not that he would have been bad with sons, but you
1: get what I'm saying. And it was a big, big family, extended family there in England. And I had an older male cousin who didn't approve of me writing these stories Mm. because, you know, a woman, again, you know, a woman writing Ah. about the war. I I should be the one to write that. He felt that he should be the one to write that book.
0: But he never did. And isn't
1: he dead now? (laughs) I just heard he just died. Well, tough (laughs) shit. (laughs) Poor John. Yeah, if you want to write a book, the
0: good thing to do is to do it before you die. Anyway, whatever. I may sound unsympathetic, but uh, he was mean to my mum. Okay. Dad,
1: Dad. Let's bring it back to the men.
0: Dad is writing a book in in theory. (laughs) Could you briefly
1: tell us about that and how you feel about it? (laughs) Well, after 51 years of marriage, you learn to manipulate your husband. (laughs) Uh, It's like a small two-year-old, really. If you want (laughs) them them to eat the greens on the plate, then you say, well, if you eat those, you can have that big plate of ice cream. (laughs) Anyhow, Oliver uh, helped uh, his dad because right, dad wanted to document his world. Uh,
0: he's, he's my dad. You say Eric. Oh, sorry, Eric. <laughs> Eric, yeah.
1: Eric, my husband, uh, wanted to document his life um, in London, England, doing his apprenticeship back in the day, five years as an apprentice and three years as a journeyman. That world apparently no longer exists. And, of course, those companies don't exist. And uh, uh, it it was a very very arduous journey for him, uh, but he was very determined, and uh, so that's how he became. But, but back then they called them diamond mounters for some reason, and I remember when he and I uh, were married, we he he decided we would go across the uh, uh, across to the rest of Europe for our it was a surprise for me. Honeymoon up in Liechtenstein. Anyway, I didn't know about that. But anyway, we almost lost that uh, opportunity. Uh, the uh, the guards who uh, what do you call it? The um, you have to show your documentation. Our oh, immigration officer. Yeah. Anyway, he looked at my father, fa- your father's uh, passport, and very foolishly he'd written Diamond Mountain because he was very proud. He'd worked hard to get that title, Diamond Mountain. But this chap thought that we were smuggling diamonds. <laughs> yeah, because
0: you would, you, you would write that I am smuggling diamonds on the paper. But you know, it's always been that stupid. I think about when Dan came over, um, oh, and it yes, was before nine eleven, huh? but not yeah. much. Yeah. Um, and he had to literally answer the question: Are you a terrorist? Yes or no? Yes, he came to, via to New boss. York. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, good grief, right? So sorry, not, I don't want to get too lost in that no, no, sorry, in, in yeah. Dad's story. I was thinking mm-hmm. more of the fact that. Now all three of us will have at least tried to write a book. We'll see if Dad finishes. Oh, I'm sorry. Yes. That's anyway, okay. so he's
1: been writing it. But um, uh, because his son's a writer, he's kind of in awe of him. Oliver doesn't realise this. So he's Eric's trying to write it very precisely, and the English and the spelling has to be correct. But then he forgets, and he gets carried away in his story. And then I look at it, and I, oh, no, that third word's r- spelt wrong. No. Oh, no, that's, that sentence is incorrect. No, Oliver would be all over that. No, So it's kind of slowed things down a <laughs> bit. Well, I try not to be too hard on him I about know, the technical stuff
0: because, A, it's a first draft. God, who cares, really? Yeah. You know, you do your best. But, yeah. I mean, that's not the high priority. It's getting the story down, I think. The other thing, though, is I know Des feels very self-conscious about it yes. because he stopped what I, we would think of as traditional schooling at 14 No, no, no. Fifteen? Fifteen back then. Fifteen, okay. Well, still, fifteen. That was his last time he had an English class. Mm -hmm. And uh, as you say, until much more recent years, where I don't know what light switch went off in his head and he became a big reader all of a sudden... Um, he never was one not in the time I knew him growing up I never saw him read motorcycle magazines and kite magazines of course yeah. and manuals for <laughs> motorcycles and <laughs> assembling kites Um so it's been this really cool thing where we've connected over it yes um, yes and I'd love to help him but it reached a point in the spring where I just stopped bugging him about it because dad loves to start things as you know yes and then it becomes this job to keep him doing them until they're done unless yes, it's like yeah. you know his absolute yeah. number one hobby and um I honestly have given up on him finishing this bloody book, but you were just telling me this morning over breakfast that he's actually been working on it?
1: Yes, yes. And he's he's been getting a nudge from uh, two uh, middle-aged men, I guess they are now, the, whose fathers knew uh, your father, Oliver, yeah. uh, way back in the day, and their fathers have passed away. Yeah. And these young men, are, it's kind of sad in a way, they're reaching out, Eric's still alive. We can see him on the internet. Oh, look at his work, you know, and uh, one of them actually is a, is a, whatever they call them in England now, goldsmith, I don't know, goldsmith. jeweler, I don't know, and uh, yeah, seem to want to make a connection with him. So I, again, I use that, as mothers yeah. do. Yeah. <laughs> See, if you finish the book, those guys will be thrilled yeah you'll be able to send them a copy you know never, never
0: mind that. i made it very clear to him one of the biggest reasons i encouraged him to write this thing was because it would make me very happy mm-hmm. because dad didn't tell me a hell of a lot about himself growing up i got one or two funny stories but for the most part he just went Bloop, and came into existence the day he married you mm-hmm. i saw maybe one photo of him before the wedding photo yeah, <laughs> so yeah. to me it was a thing of oh come on dad write this damn thing so i could know you more and and yeah. and and and, and I mean, it sounds morbid, but remember you better. For sure, you know, yeah. Future. Once they're gone, they're gone. Um, so, yes, yeah, so it's crazy thing. So it's kind of interesting, I think, that, you know, here's me. I'm only writing silly fiction stories. Uh, you and Dad both, uh, you've written and he's writing and hopefully finishing, uh, nonfiction, uh, biographical kind of stories mm. to help family connect I just think that's very beautiful what you and dad are doing. Dad would like to try and get it published. I know. Really? About it. Oh, yeah. And oh. the funny thing is I know at least one editor who's, uh, who's uh, I've told about it and they go, oh, I'd edit the hell out of that. You know, I, I'd be very interested. <laughs> yeah, it's a neat narrative. Oh, there a, you go. Huh? It's not just about his um, personal journey, but that's, as i told him, he kind of wanted to map that to the changing culture in London because in the time when he was little uh, and just starting the schooling to when he left uh, for Canada – England transformed. Oh, yeah. I mean, it went from, you know, uh, Churchill to just about 10 minutes before Thatcher. Maggie Thatcher. Um, And and then we all know how everything came tumbling down with her and everything after that. So, you know, it's a really neat story, but God, he's got to finish it. And every time I phone, he's going, I say, Dad, what are you doing this weekend? And I'm hoping he'll save some writing. Oh, well, I'm going into the woods to move some rocks and bits of wood around so me and my friends could ride motorcycles over them. Oh, it drives me crazy. But, I mean, I guess I drove him crazy a bit growing up, so it's all fair. I mean, we could talk forever. We, we know this from ample testing over the years, but this is getting close to the hour mark. Oh, oh okay. Um, so I just uh, would say, I mean, are there any questions, anything at all, that you have
1: for me? For you. Any questions? Oh, my gosh.
0: You know, about, well, I mean, to narrow it down a bit, about writing and creativity,
1: about maybe the future. Of well, what would you I... please write down all the things that you're doing? Because it's never one thing and it's never one genre. Because whenever I leave the house, people ask, what's Oliver doing? And I'm looking at them and I think, who are you? Well, my wife used to teach him in grade five. You remember me? Well, I remember Oliver. What's he doing? I can tell my wife what he's doing. (laughs) So it's it's and I and I I well I think he's doing some screenwriting. No, maybe not. No, the COVID has killed all that. No, I I think he's writing a a novel. Uh, Oh, really? Science? Oh, I love science fiction. What's it called? Um, um, (laughs) So that's what I would ask of you. Please write down. Just slightly detailed uh, titles and worlds. This
0: part is—it's been a while, but I think I have done a one or two of these fact sheets for you. Oh dear! I guess I need to do a new one.
1: I've got to, and I've got to pin the mask to the fact so that I don't leave the house without right. it. That's another thing, of course, isn't it? <laughs> my post box key for the post office to get um, my letters—I have to make sure I got that and okay. I can get back into the house. Yes, and... yes, thank you for explaining why you need your keys. <laughs> so that's very good of you. Attached, that must be this list. Right. Because is an as an Oliver magnet <laughs> oh, gosh. lurking in the air. <laughs> It's Oliver's mother.
0: <laughs> well, it is also just kind of polite. I mean, that's what you ask people. What's oh, no, your kid No, no, they really
1: want to know. Remember your book launch? Oh, my goodness. Uh, yeah, oh, no, that's true. That book, that, so many that, the people The launch for the first up.
0: book was wonderful. That that's was a, The one in uh, Carp. Uh, yes. That was
1: nice. All kinds of people that don't even like people, can't stand crowds, and there they were. Yeah, the I
0: won't name names, <laughs> but there was someone I'd literally never seen smile, yes. and they were smiling the whole time, yes. and it was almost unnerving.
1: No. <laughs> Oh, uh, yeah. That yeah. was quite an education, uh, a book launch, actually being yeah. involved in a book launch. As yeah. I say, we've been to Martin Godfrey's book launch all those years ago. Yeah, another But it's not pieces, the same yeah. as uh, actually being at the centre of it. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. Anyway, enough talking. Anyway, yeah, we can
0: talk forever, <laughs> as I'm sure you listening can imagine. But I hope this has been entertaining and intriguing. Now you know me a little better, I suppose, and where I come from. And I hope mum's insights about creativity and her life and that side of things are interesting. And uh, I hope we didn't bore you with our... Horrible, boring lives. I don't know. Where, what's what is my point? Uh, let's let's stop talking. Uh, say goodbye to the nice people, Mum.
1: Oh, goodbye, nice people. Goodbye, nice people.
0: <laughs> so I'm writing a novel. Features original music by Gloria Guns and is hosted by yours truly, Oliver Brackenbury. If you'd like to submit a question, then please email it to so I'm writing a novel at gmail.com. Bonus points if you record yourself and send me an MP3 I can cut into the show. Doesn't have to be fancy, using your phone is fine, just keep it clear and concise. You can also holler at the show on Twitter. Look for at so underscore writing, that's at so writing. Please consider sharing the show with anybody who might like it, leaving a review on iTunes, and checking out patreon.com slash so I'm writing a novel patrons get to be thanked in the final novel listen to episodes of the podcast a week early and even enjoy a bonus podcast called so i wrote a novel where i read and comment on chapters of previous works starting with my first novel junkyard leopard thanks for hanging out with me and my mum and i'll see you soon